Hello, welcome to Brick by Brick. I'm your host, Emily Verbecki. And as always, thanks for tuning in for what we hope will be another great, great conversation about Albion. Today we are sitting down with Kelly Kidder. Kelly is the owner of Dickerson Music located in downtown Albion, and he is also often involved either with, in front of, or behind the scenes of great music and events that are happening in Albion. So we're really looking forward to hearing more about Kelly's work, both on stage and behind the scenes and um, within his business. But before we kind of get to questions, we always ask everybody to tell us a little bit about their Albion story. So Kelly, can you tell us how your Albion story started or or what is a little bit of your Albion story? It's a kind of a big question, but we always find out great information about people. Um, okay. Uh, Albion story. My mom and dad were both from Albion. They both attended at Washington Gardner from the basement to the top. So they were K to through 12 in that one building, which I guess is what they did back then. Um, and we won't talk about how she was quite young when my dad met her, but <laughs> but it seemed to work because they were married until they're both they passed. So, uh, so that's my connection. Um, when they got married, they lived outside of town, and then they bought a farm. My dad kind of wanted to be a farmer, and I don't think he uh, really was uh, up for the ups and downs of being a farmer. So they ended up getting a job working at Corning. Oh, okay. uh, but they had a farmstead outside of town that was ninety or ninety thirty acres. And uh, so we ended up going to Western School District, uh, even though we were all of us kids were born at Sheldon Memorial. Mm-hmm. And um, we this is where we went to do things. I mean, Mom went shopping, and we got our clothes. And you know, Albion was kind of the, our town, even though we ended up going to Western School District. At the, uh, the, where we where our house was, we were the furthest west house in Western District. There's nobody further west from where we were. So so we actually, Concord is just past where their house is, and then Albion picks up shortly thereafter. So those rural districts kind of all interchange here. So um, I've known, been going to Dickerson Music as a kid uh, my whole life. Um, when we were real, when I was real small, I used to ask my mom to stop, and I'd look at the guitars and talk to Gar and Dorothy. And... Uh, Worked there, um, let me see, I think I was about 20 when I started working. Well, I probably could do the math. Yeah, I think I was about 20 when I started working there. I had a couple other jobs, nothing really worked out, and Gar hired me first full-time. And it was through a work program in the 80s that they had created uh, th- where the government paid half of my um, hourly wages for, I think it was 18 months, the first 18 months of me working there at the store. Hmm. Which was, I think, three thirty-five an hour, three twenty-five an hour. <laughs> I, I say that now, and people go, "Right, well, you work for three dollars an hour." Um, and I did that. Uh, I, I worked there. It was full time, and then I got laid off for a period, and then I ended up coming back and stayed there full time or um, part time, full, you know, uh, permanently um, until now. So, mm-hmm. so, and I know so. Obviously, the Dickersons owned the the store for a very, very long time. How long did they own Dickerson Musics before you came in and got involved? And, right? Yeah. Well, it, I look back at the history now, and it seems odd, but I've actually been there more than half of the history of the store. But it doesn't seem hardly possible. But Gar originally started fixing band instruments in the back room of his dad's dry cleaning shop, which is now Sterling Books and Brew. Oh, wow. So if you were there before Jim and Stacy renovated there, 
uh, there was a room when you first came in the back door that was to the left, and uh, it's just, they used it for storage uh, after Gar was there, but that's actually where he worked on band instruments mm. in the beginning of his career. I think he had... Uh, like a regular workshop back there where he would strip finish off of band instruments and refinish them. I think he did everything back in that room. Mm-hmm. Um, and, uh, and he had, there was other, I, I seem to think is where the coffee counter is now that he had something there as well. You know, maybe he had a little business counter where he sold instruments. I, I'm not quite sure about that, but he eventually opened a business across the street where Bornellis Park is, that's the little park that's oh, right yeah, across yeah. the coast side. Right by the river. Yeah. Mm-hmm. There were buildings there up until the flood in 63, I think it was. And he was in one of those buildings. And then they moved out of that building and they moved over where the Dove um, uh, Center is now that's right next door to the used, um, where the paint spot used to be. Yeah, used, right, right, yeah. yeah. And, um, and he was in that building for just a short time before they acquired where we are now. Mm-hmm. And uh, the records show that they bought that building in 58, and then uh, Christmas time of 59, they moved in. And I say they, he had a partner at that point, was, which was Bill um, Weiss. And, um, uh, in, and in 59, the, they had a grand opening, the holiday season of 1959. So this year will be our 60th year in that position. Right, so... I've heard you kind of tell a little bit of the story about how you came to own Dickerson mm-hmm. and sort of how that all worked. But um, but tell tell all of our listeners a little bit about how that came about. Well, um, so I've uh, I've done a lot of different things in my life. Um, uh, I started playing out professionally when I was still in high school, and uh, continue to do so to this day. <clears throat> well, semi professionally, you don't make a living at it, uh, and. Um, when uh, I was working part-time for GAR, and it was obvious I needed to have more income between that and performing, um, I happened to be out on the road working uh, with another band, and I was, I was uh, their road manager, uh, which is Kung Fu Diesel. I don't know if you've ever heard of Kung mm-hmm. Fu Diesel. But, and right about that time, GAR approached me, and I'd still been working part-time for GAR through all of this. And he said, you know, I'm not going to live forever, and we need to figure out what's going to happen once I pass. And... Um, I said, well, you know, I kind of figured that, you know, if, if the store doesn't fold, I'd be the one to be taken over. And he said, yeah. So we had arranged at that time for me to take over when he passed away, which is exactly what happened. Hmm. He, he got ill in 2000. I should have these dates better. It was either 2014 or 2015. I think it was 2014 when he passed. And um, so about a year before he passed away, I, I started running the store full time mm-hmm. because he was just ill enough. He couldn't come in and, and take care of the store anymore. So, so then that's what's happened. Worked out well. Yeah, sounds so. like it. And so I have to imagine that one, you ha- having spent so much time that Gar kind of almost saw you as another member of his family yeah. and felt so comfortable yeah, you absolutely. Know, handing it over. Um, and so I also can if I put myself in your shoes, you would have seen a lot of changes across the music industry and what people were looking for and needing to be able to make music. So did you have any struggle or do you continue to have any struggle with um, continuing the work that, that Gar had with Dickerson's, but also moving the, the store forward, forward. into to what, you know, what it can be and, and what you hope it will be into sure. the future? Is that something that weighs on you or? <laughs> yeah. Well, as a retail owner, um, it, I think it weighs on 
anybody who's in retail, it's it's it is a different climate than it was even ten years ago, mm-hmm. um, and yet from day one, well, I, 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 honestly, I'll tell you, when I first started working for Gar, I enjoyed the work, and as a young person, you're kind of like, oh, I get to work at a music store, I can play guitars all day long. Mm-hmm. Well, that's not all that happens. It's a job, and, and if you want to be successful, especially if you own the place, you got to put a lot of time in that is just to keep the business up and running. Um, when I first started there, it was uh, competition from local stores, but primarily from mail order, and mm-hmm. mail order at that point consists of catalog sales. Uh, we would have people come in and they would have a catalog from Thoroughbred Music or they would have one from Sam Ash out of New York. And they'd say, well, hey, I, you know, I can buy this for so much out of the catalog. And Gar would say, you know, go ahead because <laughs> we can't meet the price. We can't mm-hmm. match the price. Um, and the next thing is we might have a product that someone wants that, uh, you know, has a lot of brand recognition, but we don't feel lives up to the quality of what we want mm-hmm. to represent at the store. Mm-hmm. And, and so that's the kind of things as a retailer, I think most of the public doesn't realize that you have to deal with is that it's not just a matter of a product that somebody wants. It's what it's going to do for us and, um, wh- how it's going to help our reputation and continuing forward. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I wish I could get every product that anybody wants, but you know, you can't go to a Chevy dealer and buy a brand new Ford. We have to represent lines, mm-hmm. and if there's the line for whatever reason doesn't seem attractive to us, we can't carry it. So right, yeah, I do agree. Those are probably things that most consumers don't think about when they are thinking about. It's much easier even for online retailers um, to have that, but you want to be able to offer a good variety of things and good quality. And things that make sense and for people to be able to walk through your door and, and have a great experience, you know, coming in. But that, that that poses a lot of challenges that even online retailers, you know, don't have. Because I do think there's a lot of value, especially when it comes to instruments. If, you, if you're if you new to purchasing or you're an up, upgrading from a current instrument into something new or any other kind of equipment, to have that background knowledge of what you want or what might be important. And, and you certainly have that experience and knowledge from so many years right. that you just can't always get when you're going to an online retailer. Um, to have that information, to spend the time one-on-one with somebody talking about the pros and cons of, of one, you know, one piece versus another piece. I have to imagine that those are things that people sometimes are missing when they are only price shopping versus a, you know, um, thinking about the whole experience. Cause certainly, you know, if somebody has an issue, you want them to come back and come to you and say, you know, let me help you figure this out, let's work together to, to make sure that you're happy versus, right. you know. The, the sale is, is not just the sale, it's what happens after the sale. Mm-hmm. And um, there was a book that Gar got me a copy of when I first started that was called Surefire Sales Techniques. And it really, you might think it's about hard selling or whatever, and it had almost nothing to do with how to convince someone to buy something. It was more the attitude that you have to have to make the customer happy so that they keep coming back because that's the the goal is you're not selling to a customer now you're selling to a customer for the next 10 years mm-hmm. and you don't want this purchase that they're buying right now to to sully their opinion of the store for the next 10 years and it's and it's not always easy to do um I've, it's it's funny i've in the last couple of weeks and, and I keep referring back to guitar specifically, but we're a full-line store. We sell drums and keyboards and, and band instruments. And, of course, we have a pretty good sheet music supply as well. 
Um, but these two circumstances have to do with guitars. One is uh, there's a, a local family that brought me a couple instruments that they wanted me to um, uh, get prepared for a, a performance they were going to be playing, and uh, they needed it immediately. You know, it wasn't that they could wait. And I cleaned up both the guitars and got them ready and, and got it ready so they could use them for their job. Uh, but they had purchased both these instruments from my competition. I believe one of them was online. I don't remember if the other one was it or not. Um, but both of the instruments had issues where one of them I, I repaired that day. The other one is big enough that I'm not so certain the instrument's worth the work that needed to be done to it. Mm -hmm. and, uh, and I was looking at both of them while I was working on them and thinking to myself, if I had sold these, and this is the condition they were in after the year, because these people haven't had these instruments very long, um, I would fix them for free, or I would replace them because you know I stand behind what I what I sell, and yet they, I, I don't think they realized that when they were uh, shopping for price because they wanted something that looked like what they wanted, maybe had the name on it. You know, name brand goes a long way with anything, especially with musicians. Um, and, uh, and I could not have co competed with price on these particular items, and, um, but yet I could have come close enough that they would have been happy, and especially in that had I sold them an instrument, I'd go through and make sure that everything's ready to go, and when they walk out the door, they play as good as they're possibly going to play. They're not going to be any better. And, um, and that's not what they got when they got online. The other thing that happens, I had a, uh, a person come in the store, and they had an instrument that uh, they kept breaking strings on it. And I said, well, why are you breaking strings? Well, I changed the strings because the strings were on it were too heavy and they were hard to play and I wanted something easier to play. So I bought other strings and put them on. Now, none of the purchases they had made up to this point were from me. They were from some other outside source. I believe it was from online. I don't know if the instrument was used or new when they got it, but regardless, I sat down and discovered they had um, put the strings on incorrectly and mm -hmm. fixed it mm -hmm. and then showed them how to... Uh, put strings on and then tune it so you don't break the strings. The problem is they kept tightening the strings up too tight and just breaking them. Yeah. So I showed them, well, this is how you do it. You, you, you bring it up to pitch rather than getting real tight and then go mm -hmm. down because yes. that's where you break them. And I spent maybe 20 minutes, a half an hour with this person making sure they understood exactly what was right. Now, I sold them a pack of strings because they had broke the strings they had purchased somewhere else. But that was all I made off of the sale, and yet I spent that time to make sure they were happy. Uh, it's more important for me to to see that a musician is educated and that we take the time to take care of our customers. So hopefully that person will be back at some point in time. But the initial sale of the guitar and the strings that they bought, and, and they bought a case and strap and everything that went with it, uh, was not to me. It was somewhere else. Mm -hmm. So that was a it's sale. because they're not going to be able to get that same yeah. experience online. Yeah. And I think that sort of is, when I think about other things that you're involved in too, I think those kind of go in line with that work. So tell us a little bit outside of the store, what other things you're involved in, in and around Albion, related to music or even unrelated to music? What other things fill up your some of your time every day? Oh, well, yeah. um, well uh, I'll, I'll start back. I've been working at JCC as a stagehand. Now, that's not a union work. That's just independently at the college, even though I'm part of the union at the college, but it's not one of the IATSE jobs. Um, and I've been doing that uh, for uh, probably 20 years now. So beyond that, uh, I play in three bands right now. They keep me pretty busy uh, performing 
And on top of that, if I need to fill in, sometimes I get a call from a band who needs a bass player for the. I play bass and sing, and mm-hmm. and I don't I don't really play um, guitar professionally. Um, and then you do lessons, right? Yeah, and I teach at the store. You teach at the store, guitar and, then... and bass, and I've got two or three ukulele students right now, and one on mandolin. I've got thirty odd students, so that keeps me real busy during mm-hmm. the day. Uh, and then I run sound too. Uh, I, I think Nancy's kind of considered me to be her stage tech at the theater. <laughs> so if there's an event that's a, li- a live event at the theater, I'm called in to make sure that the sound system is correct for it. And mm-hmm. the, we don't have a whole lot of lighting in there at the store or at the, the book theater, but we do that. Um, and on top of that, lately I've had a lot of calls to do sound for events outside of uh, the theater. Um, Juneteenth, we're going to have a PA for that. And um, the French market, I think I'm going to be supplying the PA for that. Um, that kind of stuff. Yeah. So and I'll be, I think I'm going to be doing some of the swing at the show. We did some last year. So, mm-hmm. so tell me a little bit about Blues at the Bome and your involvement with Blues at the Bome. Because I understand is you teach or facilitate sort of a workshop ahead of right. the Blues at the Bome performances that happen <clears throat> once a month. So tell us a little bit about that. Well, um, the Blues at the Bome started with Cliff uh, Harris. He called me up and he says, I've got this idea. I want, uh, and this was right after they opened the theater up, before they even had a PA system. It was <laughs> within a month or two after they opened up. And he said, I, I've um, got this idea. We've got this beautiful facility. We ought to have a blues jam on the stage. And I just, on the other end of the phone, I'm shaking my head. It's not going to work. <laughs> <laughs> this will never work. And I thought maybe once or twice we'll do it and we'll have some interest. It really has worked out quite well. <laughs> much better than I thought it was, much longer than I thought it would as well. Um, and what we decided to do, actually, I think Ramona came up with that, and that's Ramona, my wife. Um, she works at the store, and she, she, tries to, does, she tries to do as much promotion at the store as possible. And she got this idea that we should have a workshop um, ahead of the Blues at the Bohm. So the Saturday that's before the Blues at the Bohm, we have a workshop from 3 to 5. And initially, it was myself and Daryl Franklin, and, uh, and then Coach came in, and we didn't really invite Coach to teach it, but he sort of was so good at it, and he was able to, you know, help the people out so much that he got, became the de facto uh, running of it. In fact, the last two or three, I haven't even been there because I've had gigs. I've had to go play a gig or run mm-hmm. sound or something. And so Coach is the one running it, and he does a phenomenal job, and he's just really good at what he does. And it's a real nice informal atmosphere where people just sit around and they if you just want to strum chords and uh, and strum along with some great musicians you're not in front of an audience the way our blues at the bone we get people that come and they just sit and watch they don't even participate musically they just sit and watch it and that's fine too Mm -hmm. there's no problem with that at all um it's not always the first saturday of the month because it's the could be the saturday last saturday of the month right prior to the first monday but Mm -hmm. uh so, you know, you've been involved in aspects of music in Albion in a variety of ways for, for quite a while. So how, how do you see music as being important to Albion's present, its past, and even maybe its future? What do you see that role? My perception has always been that Albion had uh, its more than its share of talent um, as far as musicians go for the size of the community. Uh, As a kid growing up and then as a young musician who was starting out playing, there was a a lot of really good bands and there was a lot of places to play in town. And you don't really have the bars that you used to have. 
that uh, you could go on a Saturday night and maybe go to five different places in town and see five different bands play. But they've always had a lot of talent. There's there's a generation of musicians that some of them are still around that have played since the 60s that are really talented folks. Um, that's not just the bar band scene. I'm, we're talking about classical musicians. We'd had people come in the store that that were friends of Gars that were p- playing professionally that were clarinetists and sax mm. players and neck, brass players. Uh, and so there's always been a lot of talent in town. Um, it's unfortunate that you don't have the uh, opportunity to uh, see live music the way you have in the past, but I kind of see that pendulum swinging around. Uh, for a long time, you know, DJs kind of took over in, in the pre-recorded music, dance music and what have you. Um, as a teacher, I see a lot of young people that come in that want to learn how to play, and they're wanting to play Metallica and Black Sabbath and <laughs> a lot of Taylor Swift. You know, when Taylor Swift came along, I went from having one or two female students to at least half of my students are, are female now. Hmm. And, you know, not specifically because of Taylor, but a lot of the young girls that start, you know, that's I think that's part of the reason why. Um, but... Uh, but I think there's more interest in playing an instrument than there was maybe even 10, 15 years ago. I'm not sure why that is, if it's just in this area or, or overall. Um, maybe it's the accessibility of YouTube. People are able to film themselves and put it on or watch other people. They see, you know, young girls see other young girls that are doing videos online where they're playing a song. and I think that inspires a lot of people. You know, with the, with the theater and with the brewery, having live music, and Cash Grillies has the jazz periodically. Um, Gina's is now doing the stuff for Walk the Beat. You know, if we can just keep this trend going and keep it alive, that helps. And it helps. So, so you don't have to spend a lot of money. You just have to turn out. And mm-hmm. that's what makes the, the business owners happy is when you come out and see the bands. You like it when you buy stuff, too. That's but, right. Yeah. <laughs> no, that always helps out, too. But I think, you know, a lot of business owners see it as a investment in the community experience mm-hmm. and um, and that outsiders and people who live in the Albion area can come and enjoy and spend time um, in Albion. So I think that it all kind of goes together. Mm-hmm. Um, and as you were talking about some of the benefits of music, it makes me think too, I always have seen music as a great connector amongst people and individuals and communities, um, that it, uh, can bring communities together and sort of have common language or, um, those kinds of things. So I think, you know, you probably have been, you've, you've traveled around so much and spent so much time here in Albion and you've certainly seen Albion at its best. So so as you think about Albion and where it's been in the last, you know, 15, 20 years and where you sort of perceive Albion to be going, are there any things that you see Albion not doing yet or not talking about yet that sort of concerns you or worries you or just are, is on your mind? Some pe- I've said to some people, does it wake you up at night or, or anything like that? You know, are there any things that you sort of see that make you go like, I wish we were doing X or talking about X, because I think that would help us for the future. Um, yeah. <laughs> Where's my list? <laughs> um, you know, it, 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 as I was speaking before, and as you're saying that about the community and the music in Albion, it's really easy 
for me, because my life is primarily focused on making a living through music and the production of music and teaching, etc. Years ago, I was um, in charge of a group called the Brick Street Association, and um, and I was a member involved with it. And then it kind of lost interest. There weren't enough um, individuals, but it was it was an informal group of folks that had businesses in the downtown area, whose interest was to, con- to, to just increase uh, uh, activity downtown, and. We came up with a lot of different ideas of things that we thought would help. Um, having handicap access from this, the parking lot behind the music store to Superior Street. And, of course, we have that now that Sterling built their ramp and their mm-hmm. deck on the back of the building. I think one of the biggest problems we have now is uh, signage for parking. Mm-hmm. There's parking on Superior, but there's lots of parking behind Superior on both sides of the street. You know, if you're not familiar with the area and how to get to the different stores, boy, wouldn't it be nice if there were signs that said parking for and then list the businesses with arrows. Mm-hmm. You know, we kind of did that during the construction on the Superior Street. Right. But um, if that was permanent and if it was co- cohesive, top, you know, f- from one end of the street to the next, I think that would go a long way to help you know, people feel comfortable coming in. But if people don't know how to get her back around there, then it's harder. So we've talked to the, to the city and to some other organizations, and I think someone needs to spearhead it. <laughs> and I, I don't know if I'm the guy. I don't know. I have, I have the time time to mess with it, but but regardless. But yes, but it, it sounds like, you know, and I think sometimes we get caught up in, in big, big ideas and mm-hmm. big work, but there is a lot of even small things that can be done, like, you know, park benches. And I've been so thankful that Beautify Albion has, you know, kind yeah. of taken a lead on putting some of those park benches or Absolutely. the benches along there, because I think a lot of people will take for granted that you can walk easily several blocks um, without needing to stop or anything like that. But there are a lot of people who that is a benefit for them and that may keep them from coming and walking through downtown is that they feel uncomfortable being able to like physically uncomfortable right. being able to get from one block to the next block to the next block that they would want to have a spot to be able to rest, Sit and, rest and, yeah. and they would be happy to continue to walk down the street and take their time and, and mm-hmm. enjoy um, but needing seating is is an important part of that and that's just that's not a big thing it's a pretty small thing yeah yeah it's so, pretty simple and signage too. I know sometimes signage can be so expensive, because right. um, obviously in the elements and in Michigan it's crazy. And then we also have a state highway running through, and so MDOT complicates things at times. Right. As far uh, as the, what they're going to allow and where they're going to allow right. it, yeah, absolutely. Um, as far as the benches go, I know that the Chamber of Commerce years ago, when they were back over by the where the Bone Two is now, uh, they put a wooden bench out in front. And it was all used all the time. Mm-hmm. When Citizens Beautify um, put that bench that's across from our store uh, that's right before the railroad tracks, I can tell you firsthand every day there's someone sitting on that bench almost constantly. Mm-hmm. I look out the front window and I rarely see that bench unoccupied. Yeah. You know, I, I don't think that would be different if there was any other benches in town. I think you'd have people using them. And that's a good thing. People want to feel, you want people to feel comfortable coming downtown. And like you say, uh, if if it's a matter of, you know, oh, you walk a block and a half and you need to sit and rest, then if there's a bench, you're going to do it. Mm-hmm. If there's not, you might not. Um, it makes it easier for parking, too. If you've got people who have to park around the back and then they have to come around through one of the buildings or around the corner, if there's a place to rest, you know, that, that extra amount of walking is not as important if they've got a chance to, to sit and rest for a bit. Mm-hmm. So, 
Anyway. So we've talked a lot about your involvement with music and all things sort of related to music, but I always ask everybody if they were to see you on the street or out and about around Albion and you weren't doing something related to your work with Dickerson's or, you know, sound work for a job or actually performing as a musician, which probably eliminates a lot of available time out of your schedule. <laughs> right, right. But when you aren't doing those things, what might people find you doing if they were to run into you somewhere around? Um, well, right now, nothing. <laughs> we just bought a house in town and the place we're living at now um, is, uh, it, it's, it's a house that I didn't think we'd, I'd ever get. I've known about it for a long time. Um, and uh, so yard work is always something that you got to do. Uh, really, other than that, I love to read. I don't really get the chance to read as much as I, I wish I could. Uh, other than that, I, I got involved with um, woodworking as a young man with my dad, and that took me into the building aspect in the in repairing on guitars. And I wish I had more time to do actual construction of instruments. Hmm. If you've ever seen my bass, you'll know what I'm talking about. Yeah. But I've got a lot of design ideas, but I just don't have the time. Mm-hmm. I, unfortunately. Um, not only with the store, but as a musician, you're not paid very well for the amount of time that you put into it. So you put that much more time in just to make a living. And that's where I'm at. I just don't have a lot of extra time to do the other things. I wish I, I did. Yeah. Um, awesome. Very cool. So yard work, maybe reading, maybe <laughs> catching a movie or catching up on some TV. And maybe in the future, we'll see you woodworking. Then. Yeah. Yeah. Awesome. Well, thank you so much again. I really, really appreciate it. And that wraps another episode of Brick by Brick, which we hope is your best source for conversations about what has happened and what is happening in Albion. Again, I'd like to thank today's guest, Kelly Kidder, for spending some time with us. And I hope you'll join us for our next podcast episode in the next few weeks. Please make sure to subscribe to Brick by Brick, either on iTunes or online at soundcloud.com. And you can always go directly to our website, downtownalbion.com forward slash brick by brick to listen to past episodes. We also always welcome your feedback. And if you or anyone you know would be a good guest uh, for our podcast, be sure to share our contact information with them or have them get in touch with us. And until next time, we'll see you around town.